Ready? Our evening began in Peter Seychelles' comfortable study in his New York townhouse. My name is Jim Shear, and welcome to the Brew Haha. On today's episode, I am going to revisit and review Grand Royal issue number one. Now, originally, I thought it would be a good idea to do a podcast episode on Grand Royal in its entirety, issues one through six. And then I went to my Beastie Boys memory box, got my Grand Royals out. Cracked one of them opened and realized that would be impossible. These things are dense. Deeply ass dense. And they're all over the place. Music, politics, history, some articles that don't even make sense. I thought it would take me a couple hours to read each issue. Try a couple weeks. Some of them you need a couple months. Some of them, yeah, you need a couple years. And they're thick. Now, issue number one doesn't have the spine. I think issue number one is the only one that can be contained by staples. But all of the other Grand Royal issues, two through six, they are bound. Yeah, it's like reading a novel. So I did encounter a problem because I thought, well, I, I can't do all of Grand Royal Magazine. So I'll, I'll start with one. So I opened my Beastie Boys memory box and I realized that I don't have issue number one. I thought I did, but I have two, three, four, five, and six. And I thought, hmm, well, maybe I'll, I'll start with two and then I'll backtrack and I'll do one. It'll be a prequel episode. Uh, but long story short, I sent out a text to Laver1969. He got a hold of Pootie Tang... Pootie Tang, on loan, sent me Grand Royal issue number one. And I think Pootie Tang is getting impatient because last week on Facebook, he messaged me and he said, hello, question mark. And I knew what he was getting at. And I said, Pootie Tang, how you doing? I have your Grand Royal. It's in good condition. I'm reading it, but these things are thick. They're dense. It's going to take me a while. So uh, good news is I'm done reading it. Pootie Tang You will receive it shortly. But thank you. Thank you for the loan. So uh, today on the Brouhaha, I am going to review and revisit Grand Royal issue number one. But before that, it is time for the scoop. Now, I don't know how much of a scoop this is for all of you. But if you haven't heard, the Beastie Boys book titled Beastie Boys Book is officially coming out on October 30th. And you can pre-order that right now by going to BeastieBoysBook.com. Once again, it is coming out on October 30th. It will be published by Spiegel and Gra. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. G-R-A-U, Gra. 
And Spike Jones, I believe, is part of the Spiegel publishing empire. So it makes sense that this book is being published by Spiegel and Graw. It's going to be 592 pages, a thick mamma jamma. It will feature contributions from Amy Poehler, Wes Anderson, Spike Jones, Pulitzer Prize winning novelist Colson Whitehead, and author Luke Sante. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly too. Uh, the presser that went out read like this. Beastie Boys book will cover the band's transition from teenage punks to budding rappers, their early collaboration with Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin, the almost impossible to fathom overnight success of their debut studio album, License to Ill, that album's messy fallout, their break with Def Jam, move to Los Angeles, and rebirth as musicians and social activists with the genre-defying masterpiece, Paul's Boutique. And I hope they just don't end with Paul's Boutique. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, And because it's the Beastie Boys, it's not your typical memoir affair. The book will include rare photos and original illustrations. Uh, It will have a cookbook from Roy Choi. Now, when you go to work and you see all those gourmet food trucks outside of your office buildings, Roy Choi started that revolution. I think he had the the Korean taco truck out in California. And I remember watching a cooking competition show years ago, and Roy Choi was on, and he intimidated me. Maybe he was just having a day, but I thought, ooh, I I wouldn't like to cook for him. Yeah, so uh, Roy Choi has a a cookbook in the Beastie Boys book. Uh, It will also include a graphic novel. I don't know who's creating that. Uh, a map of the Beastie Boys New York, and that will be fun for walking tours and mixtape playlists. And I'm assuming a lot of those will come from Mike D because in Dan Leroy's book, For Whom the Cowbell Tolls, they go through one of Mike D's mixtape playlists. And Mike, Mike was all about the songs. He was not about having the, the perfect mixtape because I think if I read correctly, Songs would cut off at the end of the mixtape and then start on the next side. And when my friends and I were passing around mixtapes in the 90s, they had to be perfect. They, they had to end right as the tape ended. And if a, a second of the song was cut off, we had to do it over. Not Mike D. We're not getting mixtapes, though. We're going to get mixtape playlists. That'll be interesting. And then uh, Mike D. also added another quote. Uh, I think a lot of times when I read a band book or I watch a music documentary, maybe I'm just kind of ADD. I get a little bored. But actually, I don't think they do the subject matter justice because it's kind of surreal what happens in bands' lives. So you kind of have to use all dimensions to tell the story more accurately. I can say pretty confidently it will be unlike any other music book. Well, that's apparent right now because it includes a graphic novel and a cookbook. And I remember it was either last week or the week before. The first image I saw from the book was from my friend Troy. So Troy, if you're listening right now, yeah, that's right. Your text message, that was the first time that I saw the Beastie Boys book. And it was, it was small on my phone. And I thought, is the Beastie Boys book called Pizza? And then I looked at the spine and said, oh, no, no, no. It's called Beastie Boys book, Michael Diamond, Adam Horowitz. It's just a picture 
of the Beastie Boys, probably, what, circa 86, in front of a, a pizza shop. And as the, the little gate's coming down, so it covers up Stromboli, and you can see pizza. But two of my top 10 favorite things in life are Beastie Boys and pizza, so I, I love the cover. And the cover makes sense. It's very Beastie Boys. Take a look at the cover of Solid Gold Hits. The Beastie Boys and their Puma tracksuits and do-rags. So I, I, I like that. And I, this is interesting to me because this is really, I guess, the first Beastie Boys media release since the passing of Adam Yauch. And you guys should know by now that Adam Yauch spearheaded most of the Beastie Boys creative endeavors. And that's not to downplay anything that Mike and Adam do, but, you know, Adam had a, a Yauk had a big hand in, in stirring the pot. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this presents itself on October 30th. Or unless, unless, Beastie Boys want to send me an advanced copy. And you know what I think would be a good idea? The Beastie Boys, I, I'm hoping they're doing press for this book. That would be fun. It's always fun to see the Beastie Boys. If the Beastie Boys are doing press, uh, I suggest that they do an interview on the brouhaha. What do you guys think? They should do the first interview here. It would be like a soft underground release. And then they could go to the, the major news outlets. So, Mike and Adam, if you're listening, come and do the brouhaha. We'll, we'll talk about the book. I don't know how I'm going to read it, though. So it's 592 pages. Do I take my time with it? Or do I just binge the crap out of it? Do I stay up for two straight days and read it all? I don't know. It is around Halloween. So what, are we going to get it on October 30th? That was a question going around online. Because you may remember, if you pre-ordered Hot Sauce Committee Part 2... You didn't get it. You didn't get it on the release date. I got it like two weeks later. So I'm sitting around twiddling my thumbs, thinking, "When am I gonna get my album?" Well, now in all fairness, I, I had the the MP3s of it beforehand, but you know, I wanted the the physical copy in my hand. So I'm hoping that if we pre-order it, the book shows up on October 30th, unless unless the Beastie Boys want to send me an advanced copy. So uh, some quick thoughts, and then we'll take a break, and we will officially review Grand Royal issue number one. And this is a good episode to review Grand Royal issue number one, because if you think about it, we are talking about the Beastie Boys' latest literary work, but Grand Royal issue number one, for all intents and purposes, was the Beastie Boys' first literary work. So we'll see how far they've come since 1993. Uh, quick thoughts on the book. Love the picture. My favorite Beastie Boys era comes between Check Your Head and Ill Communication. So I wouldn't have been upset if there was a, a picture from 92, 93, 94. I want to know how far is the book going to go? So I'm assuming it's going to start when there are kids in New York City. Does it end at Paul's Boutique? I, I, would, I would think not, but how far do they go? Because I want to know everything. There are some books that I've read. I don't know if you guys are into professional wrestling. I am. 
I know C.J. Hood is too. And I, I got Chris Jericho's first book. This came out years ago. And I'm reading it, and I'm reading it, and I'm reading it. And I think to myself, well, when are we going to get to the, the WWE years? And then it ends right before the WWE years, and we had to wait for another book. So I'm hoping that I'm not reading this book, and they're talking about Check Your Head. And right as Check Your Head is released, they said, well, that's it. We'll, we'll continue it some other time. So I, I want the Beastie Boys to talk about everything. I'm curious about their live shows. I'm curious about the creative process. I mean, let's face it, I'm curious about everything. So I guess in my perfect world, it would be a, not 592 pages. It would be 1,592 pages. So we will get Beastie Boys book on October 30th. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I will revisit Grand Royal issue number one. It's, it's, a, it's a word that is not really used that much in these days, but I think it really suits me, as well as these guys. It's macho. It's a macho that we have. And how do they used to say it in the, in, um, the kids used to say, mucho macho. Right. I love sports. I love athletes. I love being a man, but sometimes I love men, too. All right, here we are. Grand Royal issue number one is sitting in front of me. It is time to review it, time to crack it open. Uh, It reads Grand Royal. It has a picture of Bruce Lee kicking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the face. And I believe uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in Bruce Lee's final movie. Uh, The headline reads Bruce Lee Lives. It is dated fall slash winter 1993. Sold for the price of $2.95. I just want to point out that uh, this issue that Pootie Tang sent me was not sent in mint condition. It's good condition, but I believe originally I emailed Labor 1969 and I said, we got to find someone who has it, but it can't be in mint condition because I actually want to read it. I didn't mess it up. Every time I read this magazine, I I carefully turned the pages, but I I, I just want to let... Pootie Tang, no. It's in the same condition that I got it. Just want to point this out because it's a collector's item. Issue number one of Grand Royal Magazine. All right, I've, I've officially opened it up. We've got the table of contents page. And then there is an op-ed from Adam Yauk. Has a no-gun symbol over the op-ed. The headline reads, 22 automatic on my person, not... Uh, During the course of putting together this magazine, the issue has come up several times of whether or not to censor or change certain things. On the one hand, I didn't want to deny anyone their freedom of speech, but on the other hand, I am very aware that by publishing this magazine, we are drawing the attention the band has to other people's opinions, which in some cases I don't agree with. Having given it some thought, I realized that even if I did censor these things, I would not be infringing on anyone's freedom of speech. They would be free to start their own magazine. In any case, I've decided to let most of these things run and write this piece explaining how I feel. The two things I feel the strongest about are the photo of the far side and the captain's beefs. Because Captain Pissy has a column in each issue, at least for the first couple, called Captain's Beefs. 
Uh, both of these glamorize the idea of having and carrying guns. I definitely understand this feeling until recently uh, I used to try to present myself that way too. After growing up on Clint Eastwood movies and bad TV, who wouldn't think it was cool? Unfortunately, at this point, it seems to have risen to another level. It has stepped out of the movies into reality, especially in hip-hop. It's become like a vicious circle of the Emperor's new clothes. Few are willing to admit what they themselves see. It has become an integral part of music that the word rap to most people implies violence, guns, and a complete disrespect for women. And then later in the article, Yauk talks about how selfish everybody is, how self-centered we are, and we view ourselves as the most important. And that's why people kill, and that's why people chop down a whole forest worth of trees, because we think we're the most important and nobody else matters. So the piece ends like this. To enjoy this peace of mind, it is crucial to make it just as important to help someone else as it is to help yourself. I like that. Uh, he later writes, If you conduct your life in this manner, I'll bet you five bucks that you won't need a gun and probably won't think they're cool. But most of all, it's just a good way to enjoy your life instead of being frustrated all the time. Needless to say, it's your life, so do whatever seems right. As Pato Bonten once said, my name is Pato Bonten, and this is my opinion. There you go. Speaking the truth in 1993. Those, those words still ring true today, especially in the, the culture that we're living in. So I love this. 22 automatic on my person, not has a gun with the, uh, the buster symbol around it. Wow. So uh, up next, we go from that to up front. Yo, what's up? An impromptu car phone conversation with Russell Simmons. And in issue number two of Grand Royal Magazine, Mike D also has an interview with Russell Simmons. Not a, not a lot of substance in this interview. I actually like the, the Russell Simmons interview that Mike D does in the second issue of Grand Royal Magazine. But it is interesting to point out that Russell Simmons tells DJ Hurricane that he's getting a tombstone over his dick. And it explains in this interview that that means you have a, a big belly. And that lyric, or that phrase, you've got a tombstone hanging over your dick, you cause a minor earthquake when you throw a moving pick, ends up on Tough Guy, uh, on the, the Beastie Boys 1994 album, Ill Communication. So we probably get tombstone over your dick from Russell Simmons. Uh, on the next page, it's an interview uh, conducted by Max Perlick. This one goes out to Max Perlick, pizza man. Uh, it is Clement Sir Coxone Dodd. Uh, Clement Sir Coxone Dodd was the originator of the first Jamaican traveling sound system with which he brought American R&B and jazz sounds to areas on the island that were out of reach of the American radio stations. And then we turn to um, ooh, a t-shirt page from Grand Royal. We got a board of directors t-shirts. Like there's a cartoon of Hurricane on the back. Cartoon of the Beastie Boys on the front says board of directors. The cabin shirt, with that photo taken by Glennie Friedman. The uh, alternate Check Your Head album cover shot. Fat Shit in 92, remember that? With the 
three big guys on the motorcycles. Um, Maestro. Yeah, I think they used the, the Maestro. Why don't check your head? That piece of musical equipment. And on the back, it says, fuck all y'all. And then my favorite, uh, the B shirt. Remember that with the B's, cup of tea, and the boys. So uh, you could buy all of this. So I guess you rip out the page, write your order down, put a check or money order in, and a few weeks later, you get your Beastie Boys gear. All right, up next, we've got a quick talk with Q-Tip from a tribe called Quest. The interview was conducted by Mike D. This is nothing of substance here, but Mike D does ask Q-Tip, who should we be checking out for in the next year? Keep in mind, this magazine came out in 1993. Q-Tip says, nasty Nas. And I think the far side is going to take over the whole shit. They're dope. Poof. He was right about Nas. So, um, Illmatic. Yeah, Illmatic was 94. So that was a year later. He was right on the money with that. And Farside, too. Bizarre ride to the Farside. Although, I think that might have been out already. Right? I think that came out like 92, 93. Uh, on the next page, headline reads, On the serious tip, what goes on in Tibet? This is written by Adam Yauk. He starts out, Lately, I've been learning about the situation in Tibet and I can't get over what's going on there. I know that disgusting atrocities are going on all the time all over the world, but for some reason, this has grabbed a firm hold on my attention. And it was his mission for many years. 1996, right, was the, the first Tibetan freedom concert. Uh, there's an article about the Buddhist Dharma in Tibet, and then on the following page, there's information on how you can help stop the Chinese occupation of uh, Tibet. You can write letters to U.S. representatives. There's a whole bunch of information here. Tibet Human Rights, Compassion and Action. How can I help? And this was a cutout page, so you could cut this out, read about it, call your congressperson, and uh, try to get freedom for Tibet. Unfortunately, Tibet still does not have the freedom. And I read an article recently online about someone who got arrested in Tibet for doing something. Something that we take for granted. They do it over there. They get arrested. Uh, On the next page, top tens. Ricky Powell's current top ten snaps. I'll read you some of them. Let's see. Top ten snap number five. What's up with Axl Rose dumping his bitch for RuPaul? Uh, What's up with Lyle Lovett looking like B. Arthur? Yo, I saw your mom at the Yankee game and she got hit with the Danny Tartable foul tip. The foul tip of his cack, that is. So while reading the first couple of issues of Grand Royal Magazine, you can understand why the Beastie Boys slowly distanced themselves from Ricky Powell. And this is is no diss on Ricky, but philosophically, they were going in two different directions. And I'm sure there was respect there for both parties, but, you know, you you can read between the lines. Uh, Next to this is the top 10 best of the month. Best kid. Max Messix, official DFL offspring, not available for purchase. Because Monty Messix, I think he's the the guitarist for DFL, so it looks like he just had a kid. Uh, Best dog, Julius Horowitz, who you can see in the Sabotage Home video, I believe during the the five-piece chicken dinner video. 
best mullet. So this is officially, I guess, the first time that I would have ever heard of the mullet. Uh, best mullet is uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, pioneer of the jerry curl mullet. Uh, next to top 10 best of the month, we've got the top 10 cooking tips by the frugal Yauk, who includes a, uh, a recipe for pasta al pesto, two cups of fresh basil leaves, a quarter cup of olive oil, half a cup of grated Parmesan cheese, half a cup of pine nuts, two or three cloves of chopped garlic, linguine, salt and pepper grinder. And I forget when it was. It was probably late 90s. Everybody was talking about pesto. Once again, Beastie Boys always ahead of the curve. Yalk was talking about pesto in 1993. Then we've got top 10 tips for de-reeking. Uh, I'll give you tip number eight. Avoid fragrant, hold on, avoid fragrant fouls, not flagrant fouls, <laughs> fragrant fouls. If necessary, camouflage yourself with some cheap cologne or aftershave or perfume. There's no better way to throw, throw somebody off your trail than by making yourself smell like an open issue of Vanity Fair. Uh, on the next page, top 10 misleading album covers. What's this? Number five, Solomon Burke, Electronic Magnetism, cover a big Mac motherfucker in a full-length ermine-collared velvet cape. Contents, goofy shit for lonely ladies. Extra whack. Uh, Mike D should be penalized with a loss of down for not noticing the Elton John medley on side one and still buying this clunker. So I guess, you know, the Beastie Boys would shop for albums at thrift shops, and maybe they bought a lot of these based on the album cover. So these are the top 10 misleading album covers. On the bottom of this page, clean your heads. Top 10 easy tips from Mario C. on dope recordings. Must be performed in sequential order. Number one, always use fresh new tape. Use any major brand. Number two, clean your heads every day. Number three, get nice levels. OVU is good, or zero VU, I guess, is good. Uh, do not EQ too much yet, unless desired. Leave for playback. Uh, number five, now record something and check playback. Number six, now try some EQ and panning or other effects too. Echo, phasing, compression. Number seven, get a good balance or mix ready. Watch lows and highs. Number eight, mix to a good source. Dat, half inch or quarter inch or cassette. Number nine, make a good cassette copy. Use a three-head machine if possible. And number 10, check your tape in different systems. Car, home, club, try with no EQ. And if you listen to those 10 tips, you too can be just like Mario C. All right, there's an advertisement for the Butthole Surfers. On the next page, our top 10 favorite feuds. So this is what? This is like four pages of top 10 stuff so far. Hughes Brothers versus John Singleton. John Kennelly versus John Silva. Miss Melody versus KRS-One. John Starks versus Reggie Miller. We turn to Grand Royal News. The headline says, Always on vacation? Question mark. At home and on the road with the Beastie Boys. I'm assuming that Bob Mack wrote this article. Bob Mack was the editor for the first two issues of Grand Royal Magazine. 
And I, th- I think it got to the point where he just couldn't take it anymore. And when issue three came out, he was done. So uh, I, I read through these. Nothing, you know, nothing cool to report. However many years later, talks about the Beastie Boys in Miami, New Orleans, Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles. This kind of got my attention. Uh, It says, otherwise, it's been business, not as usual, but in a new, disciplined Beastie Boys mode. Hurricane recorded his solo joint, and Luscious Jackson released their EP, thereby legitimizing Mike's pipe dream of having a real label. Currently, Kane is pissed that Mike is waffling on a release date of his solo joint. Meanwhile, Yauk is pissed at Mike because, well, I can't tell you. Actually, he's not pissed. It's just that the last time I overheard Mike and Yauk talking, I heard Mike backpedaling say, yes, but we're not Sting, we're not Phil Collins. You see, Yauk wants the album done by November for uh, an April 1994 release because he's on a crazy mission to snowboard all winter. And I guess he kind of got his wish because I think what? Ill Communication came out in May of 1994. Wonder what they were arguing about. Mike's response was, yes, but we're not Sting. We're not Phil Collins. All right. Then there is an interview with the father and the animal thing, Luscious Jackson, live in San Francisco. So let's fast forward to later in the interview. I'm assuming maybe Bob Mack did this interview too. And he says, or whoever interviewed Luscious Jackson says, okay, Embarrassing Beastie Boy stories from when they were 13 years old. After all, it's their publication. Uh, Jill says, I've got one. This is not embarrassing. Adam Yauk and I used to have this game in my house. We'd run, a ho- we'd, we'd run around the house screaming and throwing pillows at each other, like all around the house, down the hallways into the living room. And my father's like a real peaceful guy, and he always reads in the living room. Was he like a professor? No, he's a writer. Anyway... Uh, We would just go like maniacs all over the house screaming. And one time it got so out of control that Adam like heaved this pillow at me and it broke one of our best lamps. Jill says, and my father had to scold him like a child. Uh, How old was Adam? I'd say he was like 16 and he was so embarrassed and he felt so bad. And my father still remembers this. Now, Gabby says... I have an Adam Yauk story. I've got a, a funny Adam Yauk story. The first time I ever met him, I went with this girl Joanne and her boyfriend to his house in Brooklyn. We were about 13. He was wearing a mod shirt. He used to have a long trench coat, tan. Jill says, with White Riot written on the back. And Gabby says, was it? So anyway, I was only 13, so I had never really been around guys that much, okay? Okay. And we're sitting there, and I don't know what the situation is supposed to be. So all of a sudden, my friend and her boyfriend start making out. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, if you, if you dare, you know, try to do anything, I will kill you. And he's just sitting there like, and then in parentheses, folds hands and makes polite, well-behaved face. Uh, That was like my first experience with another, uh, another guy. Nothing happened, of course, but I was just like, oh my God. What am I supposed to do now? And then the interviewer, who I'm assuming is Bob Mack, asks, What did he do, though? He didn't do anything. We just both sat there while they made out, and we were like, straight face. And they were like, nya, 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 kissy face. There you go. 
story of uh, Adam Yauch when he was both 16 and 13 years old. Uh, on the next page, it reads, DFL, a day in the life of America's most hardcore. And to this day, I still stand behind my Crazy Life EP from DFL, produced by Mario C. I believe uh, Adam Horvitz plays bass on the album. Originally, Mike D was the original drummer of DFL, and then Mike left, and then eventually Adam left. And I don't know if this is true or not, because it talks about DFL performing on the second stage of Lollapalooza in 1993, and it says, Until Davis drops the guillotine, Brian Baker of Minor Threat will be providing his expertise on bass. So is that true? When Ad-Rock left the band, did Brian Baker fill in on bass? I'm going to have to do some investigation on this. On the next page, a conversation with DJ Hurricane. What's really going on? And uh, this talks about him growing up with Run DMC. A lot of people don't know this. Hurricane inspired Run DMC to rhyme. DMC, this is true, looked up to Hurricane. So then Run DMC, they break, and when they go out on the road, they bring Hurricane with them. The Beastie Boys DJ originally was Rick Rubin, then it was Dr. Dre. He leaves the Beastie Boys because he's got a sweet job at MTV hosting Yo! MTV Raps with Ed Lover. So because the Beastie Boys were out on the road with Run DMC... Hurricane became their DJ. And the rest, they say, is history. And then Hurricane, throughout the, this entire issue of Grand Royal Magazine, is teasing his debut album, The Hurra. And it's amazing that if he was rhyming back in the day, back in the 70s, uh, he doesn't have anything out. I mean, maybe he does, but nothing official, to the best of my knowledge. I like to hear some of that old Hurricane stuff. I know some people might have it. You know, if, if the big DS is listening, ask the Hur if he's got any old school stuff from back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, up next, an interview with R.D. Bone and Lawrence Hubbard, creators of The Real Deal. R.D. Bone and Lawrence Hubbard are a couple of black 30-something comic book collectors and B-movie aficionados. That's how it reads not going to read the whole thing because obviously if I read this entire issue of Grand Royal Magazine, we would be here until next week. So that goes on for a few pages. And then we have Mike D's interview with The Far Side. And if you have Grand Royal issue number two, uh, they wanted Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill, who later married the King at Rock, to do something in Grand Royal issue number two. And she said, instead of doing something, can I just sit down and talk with Mike D? Because there were a couple things in Grand Royal issue number one that rubbed me the wrong way. And one of the things that she brought up was when Mike D asked Farside, out of all the females in the entire world, who would you most want to bone? And Kathleen Hanna said, that made me feel real uncomfortable. Because if the Farside start shouting out women... That would make them feel uncomfortable too. So Kathleen Hanna addresses this in Grand Royal issue number two. And if you read that interview, it's very timely. 
feels like it was writ- written right now in the, the Me Too Time's Up movement. Up next, we've got Atomic Dogma, What's Up with George Clinton. Uh, it has some artwork from George Clinton. Also has some, on the opposite page, it has some artwork from Ioni Skye, who was married to Ad-Rock at the time. You know, George Clinton, legendary musician. These pictures, yeah. you know, looks like my, uh, my, my five-year-old son drew them. Uh, the next story, the Great Gap Conspiracy. Yuppie conqueror Hugh Gallagher offers his unique version of clothing history. Uh, we've all seen Gap ads around town and in the mags where artists of our day are posing in white bread clothing, trying to suck us into the scam. Although some of you consider it a sellout, it's much more than that. The Gap is not just a clothing line with its vast interests in other equally execrable clothing conglomerates such as Banana Republic, uh, the Gap is nothing less a front for global domination. What was it? Uh, what was it? I shop at the Sears, but I don't buy at the Gap. Was that on Ill Communication? So, uh, yeah, the Beastie Boys took exception with the Gap in 93 and then rhymed about it in 94. You know what? Let's take a break right now. Reset things. I think we're we're almost halfway through the magazine. I, I may never do this again on an episode of the Brouhaha. Initially, I thought it was a good idea. I mean, I thought it was a good idea to do all six. I'm just doing one right now. Uh, so we will take we will take a break, and we will be back with more Grand Royal issue number one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you guys with me? Uh, today on the Brouhaha, I am revisiting Grand Royal issue number one. And I have turned to a picture of the King Ed Rock in sandals, Zubaz, a tank top shirt that says Wild Horses with a muscle car in front holding a big, chunky cell phone, slick back hair, sunglasses. It says, Pal Joey, yo, do the Buttafuoco, and at the same time, check the very affordable back-to-school wear. So I guess this is the fashion portion of Grand Royal. Ad-Rock is dressed up like Joey Buttafuoco. And when you turn the page, all you ladies, uh, the King Ad-Rock in a, uh, a pair of whitey tighties. They're, they're not whitey tighties, though. They have a design on them. He's drinking a Miller Lite. He's got a, a towel around his neck, and he's wearing those flip-flops. And it looks like Ioni Sky is, is sitting on a, a lawn chair, now holding the cell phone. Living large, it says. In between shifts, Jerry relaxes with his young friend Amy at the Jacuzzi. Her pink windbreaker by Zanny of Hong Kong has a 100% nylon shell, 100% nylon lining, and 100% Nylon sleeves, black trim. All right, yeah, you know, all right. (laughs) So now we get to the cover story. Bruce Lee, still dope after all these years, written 
by Bob Mack. Why Bruce Lee? Because Mike D said so, that's why. At least that's how it was at first. Because to tell you the truth, I had no idea was why Mike was so keen to put Bruce on the cover of the first issue. Certainly wasn't because any of us are into martial arts. Maybe it was because Grandmaster Flash took his name from a Bruce flick. Or because Lee Perry had a picture of Bruce adorning his mixing board at Black Arts Black Ark Studios. At any rate, I didn't have any better ideas, and Keyboard Money Mark said he was friends with a friend of Bruce's son, Brandon, so I figured if I reread Mark Jacobson's famous Village Voice article, Paranoid Notes on the Strange Death of Bruce Lee, we'd be off to the races. Next thing I knew, Brandon was dead, because Brandon Lee, he died on the film set of The Crow in 1993. Uh, other writers were telling me the story was cursed and Mike was thinking of dropping the idea altogether because there was also a Bruce movie and bio due out soon. No way, I said. The movie will be weak. Don't know, haven't seen it. And the bio will be whack. It was written by former Elvis Costello bassist Bruce Thomas and has been delayed indefinitely by St. Martin's Press. And besides, uh, by then I'd figured out why Mike wanted Bruce on the cover in the first place. Bruce Lee is on the cover because, you got it, Bruce Lee is dope. Now, if you are unfamiliar with Grand Royal Magazine and its cover stories, talk about dense. I mean, in the second issue with Lee Perry, there is more information than you would ever need to know about Lee Perry. And this is a, a very lengthy Bruce Lee cover story. So if you're a Bruce Lee fan, I suggest getting this magazine. There's a visit to the grave, uh, the one and only Bismarcky's Guide to Kung Fu Beats. Uh, Enter the Hornet, Van Williams sets the record straight. Faster Cato, remembering the Green Hornet. Bruce's favorite foods. A conversation with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I would pay to see this site, Mike D., sitting down with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, Mike D says, Now, how did you get involved in the film Game of Death? You'd already been studying with him. And Kareem says, Yeah, I'd been studying with him for three years, and he finally got the opportunity to make films in Hong Kong. So he wanted some of the, the people that he worked with uh, who could handle the acting and martial arts. And what does it say right here? Um, I know that on Enter the Dragon, it got kind of hectic and some of the fight scenes uh, broke out into real fights. Did that ever happen during Game of Death? Kareem says, no, Bruce and I were friends. I didn't have anything to prove. You know, some people, though, they had something to prove that they could get the best of Bruce in a vulnerable moment or do stupid things like that. Uh, Mike D says, right, and uh, now I know you have a, a very serious interest in jazz and music. Uh, was Bruce interested as well? Did you guys check out shows? No, he was more interested in philosophy than he was in music. And at the end of the article, it says, well, good luck with your magazine. Signed, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. On the opposite page, there is an advertisement for the clothing line Poot. Features two young girls in short shorts and tight t-shirts uh, with their arms around each other. It's not over-sexualized. And the reason I bring up this advertisement is because remember how I was telling you about 
how Kathleen Hanna was upset with a couple of things in the first issue of Grand Royal Magazine. She took exception to this advertisement. She just thought it was kind of contrived and it was just appealing to white males. And she thought, if you're just appealing to white males, then what's the point? Don't you want to appeal to everybody? All right. On the next page, it says, Reviewing the Dragon by Tamara Davis, uh, Mike D's ex-wife. She writes about one, two, three, four, five Bruce Lee films. And then Mike D uh, reviews Game of Death. That, of course, the one featuring Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And this this kind of comes out of nowhere. It's called First Kiss of the Day. And it's an interview with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley of KISS. Uh, the interview was conducted by Dino Dinko. And this is interesting. And the only reason I'm going to read the first couple of paragraphs is because Gene Simmons knew about DFL. Uh, it says, what's your shirt say? Real fucking last? What's that? That's dead fucking last, Gene. His shirt says dead fucking last. Corrects Paul. I'll always have stars in my eyes, Stanley. Ah, that's Adam Horowitz's band, isn't it? Gene says, snapping to it. They opened uh, They opened up for, what's the band called? Mm, wait, uh, Fugazi, that's it, yeah. They opened up for Fugazi at the Palladium. I heard that the moshing got out of hand. So randomly an interview with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. You turn the page, and it's a a day in the life of the 7th annual KISS convention, spelled K-O-N-V-E-N-T-I-O-N. Then if you're a KISS fan, you're in heaven because for the the third consecutive article, Keep It Simple Stupid, asking Michael Bev why he is the KISS artist. And isn't there a... Isn't there an old school Beastie Boys picture, mid '80s, of the Beastie Boys with Gene Simmons? I might be wrong. Maybe I mean I know there's one with David Lee Roth, but I think there one there might be one with Gene Simmons too. But I might be wrong. Uh, on this page, it is about Money Mark being a ball boy for the 1971-1972 Los Angeles Lakers. And in this story, he talks about how you have to wipe the sweat off the floor. So there was sweat on the floor. The action went to the other side of the court. Money Mark got his towel out. He was wiping down the sweat, and I guess somebody stole the ball, and they were coming back down the other way, and he actually interfered with the game. And he thinks it's because of that that his tenure as a ball boy was only one year. But did you know Money Mark was a ball boy for the L.A. Lakers? All right, up next... Okay, Adam. Oh, wait, no. The um, the headline reads, How I Spent My Winter Vacation. And it's about Adam Yauk snowboarding in the winter. I guess in both Nepal and Utah and Alaska. And then later in the interview, looks like he got arrested. So uh, the interviewer, and I'm, I'm assuming it's Bob Mack, says, Do you mind if I ask about your getting arrested for graffiti? And Yauk says, it wasn't so much that I got arrested, it was a criminal mischief charge, like a ticket. We made the mistake of going back to the scene of the crime in order to take a photograph. The owner saw us and followed us into a fucking Taco Bell on the DL. Excuse me one sec, but I've wanted to know for a long time, what does on the DL mean? On the disabled list? 
If you don't know Bob, so I guess it was Bob Mack. If you don't know Bob, whatever, but it's the top secret shit on the down low. Ah, thank you, Adam. No worries. So anyway, I'm sitting in Taco Bell, minding my own business, eating a bean and cheese burrito with my homeboys when 5-0 steps in. At least 30 young Mormon faces turn and stare at us as the officers approached asking for ID. After querying us about some supposed graffiti piece on a wall not far from there, which I denied knowing anything about as any good fool would do, he asked to see my hands, which coincidentally had the same color of spray paint on them as the mural in question. Officer Attitude immediately claimed that he had witnessed who had seen me do the piece and questioned my integrity in front of everybody. He exclaimed, much to his own amazement, You're a liar! Then they asked us to leave the restaurant, and outside they had three cop cars and cops walking around everywhere searching for the empty paint cans, as they had deduced uh, that we had only finished the supposed crime moments ago. How come there were no witnesses? Did you do the crime during the day? No, Bob. The crux of the matter here is that Officer Attitude is the liar, and it had been done the night before, but on a more serious note, I thought it was a public wall owned by the city. I wouldn't have done it if I knew it was private property. Uh, I offered to pay for them to repaint their wall, and they dropped the charges. And then Bob Max says, one last question. What was the mural of 241, my friend Mikey's clothing company? Believe it or not, I actually got arrested for graffiti because I thought it was a legal wall. When I went to Syracuse, I worked at a subway, and there's always kids graffitiing in the afternoon. I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, it's a legal wall. And I said, really? They're like, yeah. So one day I got the spray paint cans. I started making a mural and I got arrested. But then I got off. I, I made, like like Yauk did, I talked to the owner. I thought, I, I, I thought this was a legal wall. So um, it got expunged from my record. So there you go. So if I ever have a job interview and if they ask me, have you ever been arrested? I can legally say, no, it was a, a misunderstanding. This is interesting. On the opposite page, we've got a Fuji's advertisement. It says a new birth in hip hop. And this was like a year or two before the score dropped. I like this. Fuji's before they became the Fuji's. We're almost done here. Not, not much left of the magazine. Some of you might not even be listening at this point. But I, I think leafing through a Grand Royal is interesting. Once again, I don't know if I'm ever going to do this on another episode of the Brouhaha. But if we're going to do it, might as well do it for Grand Royal 1. Uh, next up, an article written by Ricky Powell. The 93 Knicks, were they the shit or what? Well, I would say that they became the shit a year later when they made it to the NBA Finals. It was Knicks and Rockets. I think it went to Game 7. And the only reason, well, not the only reason, but two of the big reasons why the Knicks lost, there was that game where John Starks couldn't hit anything. He was like 3 for 21 or something from the field. And Akeem Olajuwon just took Patrick Ewing to school. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. Uh, up next, My Crisis with Flannel by Mike Watt. In the article, Mike Watt talks about how flannel was always his shirt of choice. 
But in the early 90s, when grunge culture took off, everybody was wearing flannels. They were selling them at the mall. But in the end, Mike made the decision to wear flannel anyway. And that's right, he should. Don't be influenced by those posers at the mall. Shouldn't be influenced by other people. How does it end? It says one more thing. Uh, The bottom line is that a flannel is basically a work shirt. That means you do stuff while wearing it that is intense, like welding, grinding, thunder brooming, skating, whatever. This is a shirt you are not afraid to take chances with. If it rips hay, it's part of the territory. So uh, please don't be spending no $200 on a work shirt, okay? And Thurston, I'm I'm assuming this is a a shout-out to Thurston Moore, it's practice, not rehearsal. Actors rehearse, we practice. Up next, sound advice. Ubiquitous Verge's tips on how to avoid getting carjacked. And I'm pretty sure there's a part two of this in Grand Royal issue number two. Let's see, uh, one of the tips, um, an option, one of the newer anti-jacking devices is called Dial Alarm. This new system provides the owner of a vehicle with an 800 number, which, when dialed, activates a kill switch mechanism that will once again immobilize your treasured ride and system. Did you ever think the day would come when you could fuck someone up just by sky paging your own car? This is what I'm talking about, a deep dive. Because you go from Yalk snowboarding to Ricky Powell talking about the Knicks, Mike Watt writing about flannel, to how to avoid getting carjacked. You still with me? Up next, the captain's beefs. And in 2018, when you read the captain's beefs, it, it doesn't seem to mesh well with the beastie philosophy. Maybe early beastie philosophy. And, you know, Yauk did write about the captain's beefs in his op-ed in the beginning of the magazine. Because we got, like, in highlighted bold print, shut the fuck up, bitch, fuck that shit. Uh, and all praises due to my role models. Charles Barkley, Oscar the Grouch, Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes, Sarge from Beetle Bailey, Mel from Alice, Louis from Taxi, and my dad... Charles Bukowski, oh yeah, and fuck all y'all for reading this. Love, the captain. But listen, all of us, all of us have friends like this. But all of us aren't in a band. All of us don't have sort of a, a mission statement to back. Read between the lines. D- discuss amongst yourselves. Uh, up next, record reviews. And I remember... When the Beastie Boys put out Grand Royal Magazine, MTV did a little news blurb, and this was one of the things they talked about. Uh, Grand Royal's review of Soul Asylum. So it says, Soul Asylum, whatever the fuck their new LP is called, white music by white people for white people and now being played at the White House. This is why most white people suck. Who stole the soul? Soul Asylum. Written by Mike D. And then it says, P.S. I don't know why I wrote this review. Maybe I'm bitter. Maybe I'm jealous. Maybe I'm just tired of seeing their milk toast faces and milk carton video on MTV every five minutes. When you get right down to it, I can't defend what I've written here. It's just plain wrong. And more importantly, 
Whatever I think about Soul Asylum is unimportant since I don't listen to that Midwestern platinum punk shit anyway. All right, at least he apologizes for it. Because historically, in the Beastie Boys music, they never call out anyone. If you think about it, there's only one disc that we know of. Uh, Professor Booty, MCA goes after MC Search. But other than that, you know, the, the Beastie Boys don't go after anyone directly. But uh, they did here in Grand Royal Magazine. Although, uh, right after it, right after the, the one-sentence review, Mike D kind of offers up an apology. And then see uh, more albums being reviewed. There's uh, De La Soul, Balloon Mind State, Bismarck Key, All Samples Cleared, Meat Puppets Up on the Sun, Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders, uh, Kim and Jim Review Stuff That's Lying Around. And then we get to the back page of Grand Royal, issue number one, Stamps We'd Like to See. There are four of them. And back then, stamps only cost 29 cents. Uh, Grand Royal Magazine, their nominees are a James Brown stamp, a Sly Stone stamp, a Miles Davis stamp, and a George Clinton stamp. See, there's a uh, Melvin's advertisement to close it out, and on the back page, an X-Large advertisement, and that does it. Whew! For Grand Royal... Issue number one. And I, I remember back in the day, I was a little disappointed with Grand Royal Magazine because I thought it was going to be sort of like a, a Beastie Boys fanzine. So everything in it was going to be about the Beastie Boys. And then Grand Royal number two, there's a lot of Beastie Boys stuff in there. I think there's a an interview with Mario C. There's one with Hurricane. Uh, but as... As they went on, issues three, four, five, and six, there was less and less Beastie Boy stuff in there. And sometimes I would just get lost. And sometimes the print was really small, like seven-point font. But I would still get them, and I enjoyed it. But I think, all in all, I wanted the magazine to be a little bit thinner. But they were selling them at actual bookstores, so they had to get advertisements. So the, the thicker the magazine, the more advertisement revenue you get. So there you go. Grand Royal, issue number one, the Beastie Boys' first foray into the literary world. In October, we will get another one, the Beastie Boys book. Uh, That will do it for this episode of The Brouhaha. If you would like to contact me, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at Jim Shear, or you can email me at beastiepodcast.com at gmail.com. And at some point, I want to bring back our Game 20 questions. So if you would like to compete in a game of Beastie Boys trivia, hit me up, beastiepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, oh, before we go, I didn't mention this in the scoop. Uh, Ad-Rock, you can see him in two movies, two Sundance movies, Uh, Roxanne, Roxanne, which is on Netflix, He plays Attorney Schwartz, and if you don't want to watch the whole movie, you can scrub through until there's 11 minutes left, and that's when Ad-Rock scene is. And then uh, you can watch Golden Exits, which was at Sundance this year. Ad-Rock is in that movie, and I believe you can watch that on YouTube for the low, low price of $3.99. So there you go. Golden Exits and Roxanne Roxanne. If you want to see Ad-Rock 
on the big screen, but if you're watching it at home, then it ain't the big screen, it's the little screen. Oh, and hold up. Before we go, I just realized that uh, Mixmaster Mike has just dropped a brand new No Sleep Till Brooklyn remix titled the Mixmaster Mike Remix. You can find it on his SoundCloud. I believe that's soundcloud.com slash mixmastermike. But uh, I'll play it for you right now before we go. No Sleep Till Brooklyn Mixmaster Mike Remix. Wow. The beastie gifts just keep on coming. Uh, thank you for listening. Until next time, my name is Jim Shear, and I will see Yins later. One.